you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Luke chapter 14. Have you ever experienced FOMO? For those hearing that acronym for the first time, don't be alarmed. It's a fairly more recent saying. FOMO simply means the fear of missing out. Have you ever worried or been afraid to miss out? As the youngest of three with two older brothers, I spent, I have spent, I spent a third of my life with the fear of missing out. I was worried to miss out on all of the things that my older brothers were already doing. I was worried about missing out on bike rides around the neighborhood. I was missing, I was worried about missing out and going to the park to play basketball. I was worried about missing out on all the things that they were allowed to do before, before I was old enough. But as we get older, the sense of that feeling doesn't necessarily leave us. The week before Christmas, we, my family and I, were, we, we got sick. I still am still trying to get over a, a bit of the cough. And I was so worried about missing out on the festivities of Christmas. I was worried that my sickness would not depart in time before celebrations came. The bigger the event, the greater the sense of the fear of missing out. In today's passage, Jesus will speak about a great banquet It's a wedding feast. It's actually the biggest and the greatest that will ever occur. And today, through our text, we're going to look to answer one simple question. Who will attend the great banquet of Christ? Who will attend the great banquet of Christ? In this passage, we'll see three qualities found in those who will not only find themselves with an invitation to the banquet, but with a seat among the risen Lord. That's our goal for today, answering this simple question, who will attend the great banquet of Christ? And the first quality that I want us to see is found in verse 15. And it's those who are humble. Those who are humble. Look at verse 15 with me. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Our passage for today finds us in the middle of a narration. And Jesus is 
teaching, his second parable in sequence. <clears throat> in the previous verses, there's some helpful details <clears throat> that we must know for our passage. First, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus is dining at the house of a ruler. He's among the religious leaders, men like lawyers and Pharisees. And the scriptures say that they are watching him carefully. This type of language isn't uncommon in the Gospels. Typically, the religious leaders were paying close attention to Jesus, attempting to find fault or reason to arrest or remove him. It's in the beginning verses that Jesus heals a man with dropsy. We see that at the beginning of chapter 14. A sickness that involves the excessive swelling within the members of the body due to fluid backup. But the healing demonstrates to those in attendance that love, compassion, and mercy are all lawful on the Sabbath. Secondly, Jesus notices how the guests choose their seats at this dinner. Everyone is gunning for the best seats. They're looking for the, the best seats of the night. <clears throat> and because of this, Jesus teaches them that a parable <clears throat> to show them that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And that he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is all occurring before the passage that we're in. But thirdly, Jesus teaches that the man who is hosting the party, that true hospitality and generosity isn't just to host a party with those you know, just to host a party with friends and family. No, Jesus teaches uh, that those with true generosity invite those who do not have the means to repay you back. That true generosity actually includes or is composed of mercy. Jesus will actually include each one of these ideas or truths in the parable that we see today. And it's helpful for us to know our context. But as we look at verse 15, as we look at what has just occurred, Jesus is now reclined with the religious leaders. And after hearing Jesus speak of these things, one of those present says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. At first reading, we would all agree with this statement. We know that those who enter the kingdom of God are indeed blessed. <clears throat> we might know in this room that then we might know in this room that is better to be in the kingdom of God than to be out. But notice Jesus' response to the man's statement in the following verse. Jesus doesn't command, he doesn't commend the statement of the man. But he said he uses an opportunity to teach and correct him again. He's already done this twice. In this instant, in this chapter, he's already corrected them twice through parable and through teaching. And this is the third instance that we see. 
And the conclusion of the parable that we see in our story actually will end in a warning. It actually ends with judgment. To those who have rejected the invitation of the banquet. So even if you look down at verse 24, he says, I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The context of the chapter and parable demonstrate that this man believed himself to be in the kingdom when he in fact was not. This man was not just making an observation of the kingdom, but he was presuming that he and his friends were already guaranteed a spot at the table. This was the constant error of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were proud and self-righteous. All throughout the Gospels, they felt merited for several different reasons. We see this as we, as we read through the Gospels. In John chapter 8, it was because they were sons of Abraham. Because they were sons of Abraham, they felt merited to enter the kingdom. In Mark 2, it was because they distanced themselves from sinners. In Luke 18, it was because they did not view themselves as tax collectors, as sinners. They viewed themselves as better than. In Matthew 12, it was because not only did they claim to follow the law, but it was because they also added additional rules and obligations to keep them and the people from potentially breaking them. All of these things, they felt merited in their self-righteousness to enter the kingdom. The religious leaders believed that they were entitled to walk in and Jesus was again about to teach them something that they had already just heard. That everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is a good reminder for us today. None of us will enter to see the kingdom of God based on any merit of our own. There is nothing that we can do. There is nothing that we bring to the table that would merit that we would enter the kingdom. And this is something that we see even before Jesus begins his parable. But as he begins to teach, he helps to bring clarity on those who will actually enter the kingdom. Look at the first part of the parable with me. Verses 16 through 21, and we'll see another quality of those who enter the kingdom are those who truly value Christ. Verse 16, he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen 
and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. The servant came and reported these things to the master. Jesus begins his parable speaking about a man who was throwing a great banquet. And if you look at verse 24, he mentions that he is the one throwing the banquet. He's the one throwing this feast. The idea of a banquet or a feast in the new kingdom was not a new idea. It's one that the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about. Listen to Isaiah chapter 25 verses 1 and 6. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Verse 6. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food full of marrow. Of aged wine well refined. The Old Testament, the prophets were already speaking of a great feast that was to come in the new kingdom. But we also see in Revelation chapter 21, John speak about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what it says in verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This sounds very familiar to what the man echoed in verse 15. This is the great banquet, a joyous occasion when God will feast, when God and his people will feast together for all eternity. And in this parable, Jesus mentions that, that many are invited. Many are invited to the banquet. Now in this culture, it was appropriate to send out an invitation with, with all the details and for the guests to respond with an RSVP. This would be similar to what we do today with a save the date for a wedding. You send a save the date, you let people know that your wedding is coming. Except in this culture, the invitation was much more formal. All the details were already listed. All the plans were already set forth. And the confirmation was a much stronger commitment for those who attended. Today, some of us forget to send our RSVPs back. Sometimes we uh, say yes and we don't attend. That was not typical of this culture. In this culture, your commitment was an acknowledgement that you understood the party was about to begin. And you were going and you were ready. But notice what happens in verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And so what banquet was ready? The feast was ready. And so what would happen is on the day before the event or the day of the event, the host would send his servants out to tell the people, the food is on the grill. The plates are out. The tables are set. It's, it's time to come. The party is ready. 
This is what would occur in this culture. The celebration was ready to start. And all the guests would arrive and it would take place. But in our parable today, something different happened. Something unexpected happened in the culture. Something you would never do occurred. What occurs are three individuals who provide three different types of excuses. Look at what it says in verses 18 through 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. When the servant came to tell the guests that the banquet was ready, Jesus says that they all began to make excuses. When you look at the excuses that they gave, we wouldn't necessarily categorize them as evil or wicked. Look at the first man. The first man brought some property. He, he bought some real estate. It's, it's not wrong to have a place to make a home or to have a place to make a livelihood. The second man, he purchased some oxen. Again, I'm sure these would be helpful for the farm. I'm sure it would be helpful for the home or even, even to act as transport. But there are oddities to their excuses. Both are extremely Thoughtless excuses. Notice both of them purchased things without any level of insight. Even in today's culture, it is extremely rare to purchase a home without seeing it. It's extremely rare to, pur to purchase property without having investigated. Nobody goes and makes a large purchase typically of a vehicle or some other uh, equipment without testing it. But this is what is occurring here in our story. There's even a third man who says that he's been married. He just got married with a wife and he cannot come. Again, this is, this is not an evil thing. The Bible says that you find a wife finds a good thing. But the servants had arrived at the man's house because the man has already said, the men had already said that they would come to the banquet. And now they had no desire. If you notice, the first two men asked to be excused from the banquet, and the last man doesn't even do that. He just simply says, I won't come. The commonality that we see among these individuals is that they simply didn't value the king and his banquet. They simply didn't value the king and his banquet. They hadn't prioritized the banquet. They had other things on their minds. They did not care for the banquet or the company of the king. It's probable that they had a desire to attend. 
oftentimes I receive invitations and I always, I want to go to everything as much as I can. But it's unrealistic sometimes, right? There's always, sometimes there's a desire. It's probable that they may have even understood that it's a, that's a big, that's, it's a big event. It's important. But ultimately, what we see in this parable is that they had other pressing matters on their minds. These men valued and loved their property. They loved their possessions. And they even loved their families more than they did the king and his banquet. The Bible ultimately describes this as idolatry. It's the sin of worshiping or treasuring created things over the creator. And many times we view idolatry only in the category of that which is easily wicked or evil. We only tend to categorize evil things into, the, into idolatry. We think pornography is idolatry because it's wicked. My heart desires that. My self-image is idolatry because I know that that's pride. What the scriptures teach us is that it's even possible for even the good things that God has given to us to steal our attention and our affections from him. In the following section of Luke 14, right after this parable, Luke contrasts what true discipleship, what true following of Christ looks like. Listen to what he says. Just down below in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is teaching here is that you can have no other, you can have no other God in your life above him. You can have no greater affection. You can have no greater love than Christ. These are difficult and challenging truths to teach and to, and to apply, but it must, it must be done. We, we have to hear this. Because notice how severe are the consequences for those who excused themselves. Notice in verse 21 how the man responds to the excuses. It says he, he became angry. Why? Because our God is a jealous God. He understands that there is no greater good apart from him. There is nothing in this world that can compete with his majesty, with his grandeur, with his glory. But notice the end of the story. None of those men 
who were invited shall taste my banquet. This shows the severity and the dangers of the sin of idolatry and of making the mistake of not truly valuing Jesus above all other things. Over the past several weeks, Pastor Blair has been asking us the same question at different occasions. Do you love Christ more today than you did last year? Do you love Christ more today than you did last year? I want to provide another question for us to consider today. Is there anything that I value more than Christ today? Is there anything that you value more than Christ today? The grace and mercy of our God allows us to answer that honestly. And the truth is, all of us would answer yes. There has to be something. The question is, what is it? Church, this is the type of question that we welcome the Spirit's work in our lives to reveal the things that we hold more precious than our Christ. What is it that you hold more precious to Christ in his kingdom? I want us to, to know that we can fall easily into the simple trap that we, with each passing day we set our gaze lower and lower towards the plains of this earth and not upward to the things that are above Church, we, we need the Spirit's help in this. To help us continually set our eyes above, to set our gaze on Christ, to see more and more how glorious he is, how worthy he is. If you're here today and you wouldn't classify yourself as a Christian, or you wouldn't classify yourself as someone who followed Jesus, what is keeping you today from following Jesus? What excuses have you made today for not following him? If you're here today and you would say, I, 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 I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus, I would ask that you would ponder that question in your mind and in your heart for the remainder of our time. What is keeping me from following Jesus? What this story shows is even the good things are not value excuses to missing out on the banquet that Christ is offering. Those who take a seat at the banquet table are those who are humble. It's those who truly value Jesus Christ. And lastly, it's those who receive his mercy. Look at verses 21 and 24. When the master of the house became angry and he said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways. The hedges compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited 
shall taste my bitter joy. At the end of this story, we see the immeasurable and infinite mercy of God on display. We see how God lavishes his mercy in this story. And really, there are three ways that we see this. The first is that God displays his mercy on those who could never repay him back. The master tells the servant, go out to the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame. These are the exact types of people that Jesus mentioned earlier in the, ch in the chapter to invite to the banquet. It was these types of people who could not repay the master back. And this is the mercy of God on display. That he would welcome those who could never repay his mercy and grace back. And this is why humility is required to enter the banquet. Because only those who know that they have nothing to offer will be willing to receive the mercy of the king to be let in. It's only those who recognize, I have nothing that I can bring. who will see that they will need from the king his mercy and his grace to be let in. If you're here today and believe you don't need the mercy of God, you will not enter the kingdom of God. We all need the mercy of God. This is why the scriptures teach us that his mercies are new every day. Because every day we need the mercy of God. We need his mercies lavished on us. But secondly, God displays his mercy on those who are unexpected. In the story, the servant comes back and he tells the master he's been invited. That the poor have been invited, the lame have been invited, the blind have been invited. They come and there is still room. There is still space at the banquet. And so the master sends out the servant and he says, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. Who are those who are far off in the highways? Who are those who are far off in the hedges? Well, it's you and me. It's the Gentiles. It's the nations. Salvation was coming to the Gentiles. This is a common theme in the, and it's an emphasis in Luke's writing. And we're going to see it in the book of Acts. We see several different times through the gospel of Luke. But there's one clear example in Luke 13, just the chapter before, when Jesus is speaking about the narrow door. And he's asked if you will be saved. And Jesus responds that many will seek to enter the door, but not be able to. And I want you to hear what Jesus says in verse 25 of Luke 13. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, do 
I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Listen to what he says in verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. God will extend his mercy to the nations. He will extend his mercy to the far corners of the world. And those that receive his mercy will come and recline at the table of the king. For the religious leaders, even some of the Jews among them, this was unexpected that God would do this. But the scriptures teach us that this was always the plan of God. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God promised a seed who would bring redemption to humanity. In Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, he tells him that God will make him a great nation, and in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Throughout the Old Testament, we're given examples of God demonstrating his mercy on the Gentiles. Consider Rahab, who was saved from the destruction of Jericho because she placed her faith in the God of Israel. Or look at the book of Jonah where God extends his mercy on a country that is so wicked that the prophet himself didn't think they were deserving. But even in the Gospels, we see Jesus extend his mercy to those we would never expect. Do you remember the Samaritan woman? She was an outcast of society, a woman who had five husbands, and now with a man who wasn't her husband. And Jesus extends mercy, gives her living water, water that will satisfy her longing heart. Do you remember the centurion who came to Jesus looking for help so that one of his servants would be healed? We see Jesus extends his mercy on this man and his servant. God displays his mercy on those who are least expected. Notice that those who are humble, who understand the value of the kingdom, of Christ and his kingdom, they come and they and accept the merciful invitation of Jesus. Have you received the mercy of Jesus? Have you received the mercy of Jesus today? Maybe you're here today and you think, you would never be welcomed. I would never be welcomed. There's no way that Christ would welcome someone like me. Perhaps you believe your sin is too great. What I've done, God would never extend his mercy. Maybe you've sat in a church like this many, many times. And you've listened to what Christ offers and have rejected it many times. And now you think you're undeserving of his mercy. He would, he would never extend it on me. Today, I want you to know Christ offers his mercy in you. He extends his mercy in that you are here today, hearing from his word, and of the invitation 
all who enter the kingdom and accept his mercy. Believe today that you are a sinner in need of God's infinite grace. Trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. And the scriptures say you will be saved. God's mercy is even on display throughout the end of the parable. Do you see it? Look at what this simple little phrase communicates, that my house may be filled. It's not enough that the house was partially full. It's not enough that it was maybe halfway full, three-fourths full. No, no, our God is gracious. He's merciful that he fills the banquet for all who would receive his mercy. And at the end of the age, we read it in our opening, God will accomplish his purposes to bless and save the nations. He will gather his people and we will feast with him. And I want to encourage you to join us in the, in the next several months as we open the book of Acts to see how God develops this mission and how we, the church, are meant to be a part of the endeavor to extend invitations to the great banquet that we have been invited to. How do we respond this morning? There are two responses, really first. There are responses for two groups of people this morning. The first is, is for those who are not a follower of Christ, those who do not believe. Your response is, would be very simple in that you should embrace the mercy that God extends to you today. Jesus makes it clear that those who reject his merciful invitation will not enter to taste the banquet. Embrace the mercy of God today. But the second response are for us who, who would count ourselves among the church. I'm going to give you your responses in three prayers that I think we should carry out into the new year. Three prayers that we should begin to pray and ask the Lord to do work in us. The first one is this, pray that the Lord would grow you in humility. Pray that the Lord would grow you in humility. Consider your posture before the Lord and others. Do you see in yourself a continual or growing need for God? Your humility would lead you to that. To show, to demonstrate how much you need of God. We need him every hour. Do you exhibit the mind of Christ and, and value others above yourself? Not only with those who, who share commonality with you, but all others that you do not know or who would even be considered less than in our society. Do you find yourself growing in value of others above yourself? Let's pray that we would grow in humility as a church.
pray. Secondly, pray that you would, that the Lord would grow your affections for Jesus. Pray that you would see more, more closely who Christ is. That you would understand more of his majesty. That as we come week in and week out to hear from his word, that he would speak to us. That we would see. That we would grow in faith. That we would hide his word in our hearts. Sometimes we tend to like to establish metrics. I'm going to go share the gospel this many times. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. But if our affections for Christ do not grow, the work will be in vain. Pray that the Lord would grow your affections for Jesus today. Ask the Spirit to help you see and then lastly, pray that, you, that the Lord would grow your gratitude toward the mercies of God. Pray that the Lord would grow your gratitude toward the mercy of God. I, I have been reminded recently that knowledge of truth just isn't sufficient. You can have knowledge of God's mercy and never express gratitude. You can have knowledge of the greatness of God and never respond in proper worship. Would you pray that the Lord would grow your gratitude towards the mercy of God? Is your heart full of gratitude today? Have you sat contemplating how merciful God has been, how gracious he has been. I would encourage you as we tend to do on a day like today with a year ending and a new one beginning, not to set our eyes too forward thinking about the coming year. Maybe we spend the next several hours just contemplating the greatness of our God and the mercy of our God. And may that lead us to love him more and more in the coming days. Would you pray with me? Father, we come thankful that you would choose to be merciful to sinners like us. That while in our sin, you would send Christ to die on our behalf. Lord, we are aware that even the worship we offered today isn't an expression of enough gratitude for all that you have done. And this is why we long for your coming. Father, we long we long to spend eternity with you. We long praising you and worshiping you and expressing our gratitude and our thankfulness of your glory and your majesty. Lord, help, help those in the room not be fooled 
in their position before you and the kingdom. Make it clear in our hearts, in the deepest depths of our hearts where we stand before you. Make us humble. Help us to truly treasure you, Lord. We, we understand that our knowledge is limited. But we know that your spirit can reveal to us the truth of your word. In regards to you, the greatness of your character, the greatness of your works. Lord, help us to see. Give us eyes to see. Lord, I pray for those who are here who do not know you. Help them to see that your mercy is available today. Help them to know that your grace your grace beckons them to heed the call to believe in your message. So Lord, we pray that you would be gracious and merciful today.